Hello, everyone. Hi, listeners. Ooh, it's episode 65. Woo, 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 woo. We're here. We're gearing up. <laughs> Does that rhyme? We're here. We're gearing up. <laughs> Get used to it. Get used to it. Get used to it. I thought you were going to say something like, we're here, we have fear. <laughs> no, that's a that's a slogan on our website. We're here, we live in fear. Get used to it. I love that. Um, God, you're such a great web designer. And nobody visits the website. Guys, we go have, to the website. We have merch on there. This wasn't even meant to be a plug, and now I'm like angrily being like, why does no one visit our website? <laughs> Quick angry plug. Buy our merch. www.imhorrified... Oh, I don't remember if it's I'm Horrified Pod or I'm Horrified Podcast. How do you expect to sell our website? <laughs> <laughs> you like, don't even nobody know Nobody ever visits the web address. this URL I can't even I'll say. I'll look it up. I'm... Oh, it's research happening in real time. Horrified. You can hear my little computer. Podcast. Not I'm terrified podcast. Who has a podcast called I'm terrified? Oh my god. This Google search result is infuriating If to they me. have more downloads than us. I'm horrifiedpodcast.com. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see you there. We'll see you at www.imhorrifiedpodcast.com. Yep. As long as I pay our, you know, like, GoDaddy or whatever it is. Um, so that being said, welcome. We're welcome. here for another night of fun. Woo! Woo! Um, I'm just really excited about what you're going to talk about, Sam, so let's get into it. <laughs> Sam, what are you going to talk about this Today week? Today I'm going to talk to you about um, Vladimir Putin. Just, you know, a quick fun one. Thank God. <laughs> And I'm going to talk about Action Park. I'm thrilled. I cannot wait to hear about yeah, this. Yeah, buddy. Uh, we love a theme park here. It's obviously. just what I call my bedroom. No. Oh, I thought you were saying you called your bedroom, yeah, buddy. And I was like, oh, No, I was saying, like, okay. my bedroom's Action Park. I like, love that. It's sexual. Yeah, I love that. No, my my bedroom would be, like, like a lazy river. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of slow movements. <laughs> I love and that. Soft surfaces. Yeah. My bedroom would be called um, the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so before we talk about Action Park, let's talk about Pooty Poot. Young Poots. Young Poots. <laughs> the Young Poots. Puss and Poots. Oh, he's HBO a... original series, The Young Poot. <laughs> he is a dictator. Le- but he's I mean, still played by Jude Law. Yeah, <laughs> though, um, perfect. I want to. I want to know because the thing is, like, I think I know everything, but I don't know anything about. That's him. what I found as well. Um, okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. So I don't know why I've been feeling so Soviet lately. First nuclear weapon. Really have now this. I watched the first episode of Chernobyl. Anyways, like you were just saying, Ali, Putin is somewhat of a shadowy figure in America. We all kind of know, like, Putin bad. Yeah. But I certainly can't articulate why other than he bad. Yes. So today we're going to try to articulate why a little bit. And maybe we'll find out he's a nice guy. He's not. Oh. (laughs) But. I thought maybe. (laughs) Surprise, Putin, just a stand-up dude. I'm going to be on some lists now. Maybe he's like, yeah, no, maybe he's like, yeah, you are going to be on some lists. Um, maybe he's, like, you know, funding UNICEF behind the scenes. <laughs> we don't know. I, I don't know. I confess I don't know. So for, um, those of you who don't know who Putin is, guys, but, um... Read any newspaper. <laughs> Vladimir, Vladimir Putin 
is a Russian politician and former intelligence officer who has served as Russia's president on and off, mostly on, since 2000. So basically since, like, I have memories of the world, uh, Putin's been the president of Russia. He was born um, in October of 1952 in Leningrad, the youngest of the three children of, I'm going to do my best on these names, y'all, Vladimir Spiridonovich Putin and Maria Ivanova Putina. That sounds pretty good. Thanks. We don't know. I I think we have a couple listeners in Russia based off of our numbers. Uh, please let us know how we did. <laughs> um, or maybe just don't listen to this episode. I'm worried for you. Oh, maybe they're not allowed <laughs> to listen to this part. Maybe, like, we'll get tweets from Russia like, why didn't you guys do an episode this week? And we'll find out we got suppressed in Russia. Oh. That'd I mean, great. nothing would make me happier. <laughs> but just quickly, quickly, just, like, click over to our pimple popping episode or something. Yeah. To save yourselves. <laughs> um, a fun fact is that Putin's grandfather was a cook for Lenin. So that's fun. Fun? Russian fun fact. So Putin's birth, unfortunately, was preceded by the death of his two brothers, Victor and Albert, Albert who were both born in the mid-1930s. Albert died in He's his infancy. Old? No, Putin was born in the 50s. So kind of old, but yeah, still fair old, enough. But probably younger than Trump. I don't actually know that math, but... Ugh. Um, so, Albert died in infancy, and Victor died of diphtheria during the siege of Leningrad in World War II. So, this couple had lost their two sons, and then after the war, they had Putin, as we know him. Vlad Putin. Um, our buddy Vlad. Uh, Putin's mother was a factory worker, and his father was a conscript in the Soviet Navy, serving as a submarine, serving in the submarine fleet in the early 1930s. So, that's his life. Uh, at the age of 12... Putin began practicing judo. He's a judo black belt and a national master in the sport of sambo. Okay. Um, and also in his kind of young preteen years, he idolized intelligence officers portrayed in Soviet cinema. So, like, if a little kid today was, like, obsessed with James Bond, it's like that. Except it was, like, Soviet James Bond. It was, like, Vladimir Which is funny because James Bond was always fighting off the Soviets. There you go. So then Putin grew up. He studied law at the Leningrad State University in 1970 and uh, made a lot of great connections there that I'll kind of get back to, then graduated in 1975. So now we get to something I had actually heard about Putin, his career in the KBG. The KBG is basically like the CIA of Russia, if that makes sense, focusing on internal security, intelligence, and secret police. And... That's, like, one of the few things I ever knew about Putin was that he started his career in the KGB, and I was like, whoa, spooky, and then that's all I know. So let's hear about Putin's actual career in the KGB. In 1975, right when he got out of college, he joined the KGB. Um, I don't know what KGB stands for. It stands for Russian CIA. You know what? I had it in my brain, like, I should ask that, and then I was like, (laughs) oh, Sam doesn't know. I don't know. (laughs) It said it in the articles I was reading, but I was just like, it's not important. You're not going to pronounce it correctly. (laughs) It's true. Um, after training, he first was working in counterintelligence, and then he was transferred to monitoring foreigners and consular officials in Leningrad. So basically, like, when outsiders would come, he would be the person who was kind of like, what's their deal? What's happening there? I'd be good at that job. Yeah, I bet you would. Then, from 1985 to 1990, he served in Dresden, East Germany, using a cover identity as a translator to get intel over there. Um, That was a very good cover identity because Putin is fluent in German. Fun fact. Interesting. Um, 
But so Masha Masha Gessen, who is a Russian-American who's authored a biography about Putin, claims, quote, Putin and his colleagues were reduced mainly to collecting press clippings, thus contributing to the mountains of useless information produced by the KGB. Yikes, that is not a sexy job at all. No. So it seems like, like... Pencil pushing. Yeah, in the spy world, it was like, maybe go to Germany and just tell us what's going on over there. And he'd be like, not much. And they'd be like, keep doing what you're doing, Putin. More newspapers. (laughs) So according to Putin's official biography, during the fall of the Berlin Wall that began in November of 1989, he burned KGB files to prevent demonstrators from obtaining them, which sounds like a very heroic act for Russians. Uh, but, again, seems like the files weren't actually that important, so I don't know. Maybe he was just being a huge drama queen. <laughs> we have to burn these. So, Berlin Wall falls, communist East Germany falls, and Putin returns to Leningrad in early 1990, where he works for about three months in the international affairs section of Leningrad State University. And there he's basically, like, recruiting for the KGB. He's still, like, involved in that. He's watching the student body to see if, like, anyone is not into Russia. And he also renews his friendship with his former professor, Anatoly Sobchak, uh, who is soon to become the mayor of Leningrad, or as it's later known, St. Petersburg. Uh, Then he, this thing happens with the KGB. Um, There's basically, like, a coup. Great. So in August of 1991, the chairman of the KGB, Vladimir Khrushchev, I think, along with seven other Soviet leaders, attempt to overthrow the government of the Soviet Union. So that's like if the CIA was like, we're overthrowing the president, which would be jarring. I'd be jarred. I'd be fine with it right now. (laughs) I would still be jarred, I think, because I'd be like, who are you? Like, they can do that? Yeah. It's like when Katniss shoots the <laughs> coin mayor person instead of the yeah um, dictator guy. Yeah, well, it's exactly like that. Pretty much exactly like That's that. That's what happened in Russia. The um, purpose of this attempted coup was to preserve the integrity of the Soviet Union and the constitutional order. Um, and the president, who at the time was Mikhail Gorbachev, was arrested and they were trying to seize power. But within two days, the attempted coup totally collapsed. But... Putin says that during that coup, he immediately resigned from the KGB. He said, quote, as soon as the coup began, I immediately decided which side I was on. Uh, And he said the choice was hard because he had worked for the KGB for like 25 years, but he wanted to stand with the Russian government and not this kind of like now insurgent force. So he's like, as soon as that happened, I quit. That's what his official biography says. Yeah. I mean, he could have been like, oh, this isn't really going my way. (laughs) Of course I've been with the government the whole time. (laughs) Who knows? Um, But what I do know is now the KGB is entirely disbanded. So what is a little Putin to do? Where's he gonna go? What's he gonna do, Al? Well, in June of 1991, Putin becomes the head of the Committee for External Relations in the office of Anatoly Sobchak, Putin's old mentor who is now the mayor of St. Petersburg. And his responsibility is promoting international relations and foreign investments and also registering business ventures. Within a year, Putin is under investigation by the city legislative council because he had been basically, like, undervaluing things and he'd been permitting the export of metals that were valued, like, millions of dollars higher than they were supposed to be in exchange for, like, 
food that never arrived. Like, just bad. He did a bad job. Shady things. Yeah, and I can't even quite tell from the articles I read if they were shady or if he was just bad. Like, I like, literally... are you a high-stakes criminal or are you just bad at your job? Yeah. But either way, uh, it's not even a year in. He's under this investigation and investigators recommend Putin is fired. But he is friends with the mayor of St. Petersburg. That will so help. He is so not fired. He remains on the Committee for External Relations until 1996. And he also has, like, just increasing, he's in, like got more and more titles in city government. He's doing a million things. But then in 1996, Sobchak loses the mayoral race, and Putin is once again on the job market, now with all of this government experience. So he decides to move to Moscow. And in 1997, the president, Boris Yeltsin, appointed Putin? Rasputin? Pew, pew! Appoints Rasputin. Uh, President Yeltsin appoints Putin as his deputy chief of the presidential staff. Uh, which is a pretty big promotion <laughs> from just, like, working in a city government. I think so. Um, and he remains in that position for about a year. Um, and, again, is just, like, collecting more and more titles as he's there. So he's in the big leagues now. But how does he become the Putin we know today? The president of Russia? Well, basically he does it because Boris Yeltsin's not doing a good job. <laughs> right. So in 1999, uh... Boris Yeltsin was uh, not popular <laughs> in Russia. Uh, a year earlier, the government had defaulted on its own loans and the ruble had crashed, which is like their money. Um, so it was like a very bad time economically in Russia and all of that blame went to Yeltsin. What is their currency now? It's probably still the ruble. Really? Yeah. I guess I don't know. They're not part of the EU. Here, let's do no, some No, they're not. I don't know what their currency is. We're just doing a lot of research on the flat. We just want to answer our own questions. It's still the ruble. Wow. Okay. So there you go. But it crashed in 1998. Bummer. Um, I thought it was like, you know, like Germans had marks. Yeah. And when their economy crashed, they were like using them to build fires because yeah. they like didn't, they had no value. <laughs> yeah. This one, they, they recovered from this crash faster than Germany recovered from like their problem with marks. Fair enough. Um, but in the course of a month, when it was happening, the ruble lost two-thirds of its value, inflation spiraled, and unemployment and poverty spread really, really far. It was already, like, not good. Even before the crisis, millions of Russian workers were going unpaid for weeks or months at a time. Um, well, I mean, as Germany taught us in that similar (laughs) way, this is an excellent sort of breeding ground for new management. Yep, it's all coming together. And whether or not they slaughter half of Poland is kind of neither here nor there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Ironically, after the ruble crash, they have a term for these, what they call delays in getting paid. It's Zadarsky. Um, but the correct term in English is actually wage theft. Um, and that's Fair enough. going on for a while. So people begin calling for Yeltsin's resignation. He's trying to rate the ship, so he fires his entire cabinet. This is kind of when Putin rises a little bit more in power. He's, like, added to the cabinet. He's the new prime minister. Which is weird for people, because, like, he was just, he was a real unknown. He was just some guy. He was really just some guy. He was, like, somebody's assistant. He was, like, fudging numbers on... <laughs> things at customs so the fact that he becomes the prime minister is like who (laughs) Um, uh, everyone's like oh okay um and he hopes that yeltsin hopes that firing the entire cabinet will be enough 
Uh, but it is not. Other political parties keep trying to impeach him. They can never quite get enough votes to do it, but they're getting close. And then he comes under investigation for bribes. Um, and, like, the investigators have him, basically, for bribes. Like, the pierce, the person he was bribing, or the person that was bribing him was like, here's my records of, <laughs> of these bribes. <laughs> of these bribes. So, basically, he needs to get out of there. So Yeltsin resigns uh, on December 31st, 1999, and because Putin is now the prime minister, he becomes Yeltsin's successor, at least in a temporary capacity. Uh, President Putin's first decree as president was lifelong immunity from prosecution for Boris Yeltsin. Okay. So what it feels like to a lot of people is that Putin got that promotion because Yeltsin was like, I'm going to get out of here pretty soon. And I, I need, need you to have my back. I need someone who, when they come to power, they're, the first thing they'll do is say, you can't prosecute Yeltsin. And he did that. <laughs> and he did that. I mean, I do that for you. If you were the president <laughs> of a country. I mean, quote me on this when I fucking run for president someday. I've already dug myself that hole in the ground. Um, it's like, if you were like, I'm the president of, like, Sweden, and, like, I'm fucking everything up, and they're gonna boot me out, and then you're gonna rise to power, and I need you to do me a solid, I'd be like, yeah, of course. Of course I would. And then you're like, and then I'll stay president for 20 years. And Sweden will flourish under my iron fist. (laughs) Um, so, anyways, Putin is in power. Um, he is there in a temporary capacity at first, but because he's had to rise, they call an election within three months, which means that the other parties have exactly zero time to, like, put another candidate up. So he Mm. wins in a landslide that first time. Because it's like, who else do we have? Yeah. Well, it'd be like, it'd be like if Trump resigned right now and Pence came up and then they were like, but there's another election now. And the Democrats had to be like, um... (laughs) I guess, uh, we had these eight guys, but I guess we just have to pick one. Fuck. And meanwhile, Pence is there like, I got this. Yeah. A lot of America would be like, it seems like he got this. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. But that's what it would be I get it. I get it. You know? So now we're going to get to the crux of the matter, which is like, why is Putin so scary? I am not going to super get into, like, his literal policies right now because Russian politics hurts my head. Um, mm. But more I want to talk about what Russia is like under Putin. Um, and there's a term for it, Putinism, <laughs> which is fun. So Putin's Russia is a Russia with very, very little transparency. And I know that, like, as Americans, we think of Russia and we're like, in, you know, in Soviet Russia, the... Street lamps, watch you. Yep. Like, you know, that. I made that joke a lot in, like, eighth grade. Right? Exactly. But, like, Putin's Russia has no transparency about what's going on at the top. And the power is so deeply concentrated to the people at the top um, in a way that is, like, really unique. So Putin really likes this group of people that are called Siloviks. Um, and they are people who, much like Putin, started their careers in military or intelligence and then came to politics. Um, that's, like, a very specific social group right now in Russia. And so they make up a huge percentage of Putin's inner circle. Um, there's, um, like, a social psychologist. Her name is, doing my best, Olga Kristinovskaya. Um, she seems very cool. She did this very cool study about the portion of Siloviks in the Russian political elite. Um, and basically she's like, 25% of all people are this group, Silovics. 
So it's yes. like a huge percentage have had this weird exact same path as Putin, which is weird. <laughs> like when you think about it. Yeah. It's odd. Um, and it rises um, in like his close circle. It's 58 percent in parliament, which is obviously like elected. It's 18 to 20 percent because the people are electing less. And then like it's a little higher in other areas of government. It's like 30 percent. And so here's the other thing about that. There's a successor to the KGB. Obviously, it's called the FSB. Again, I don't know what that stands for. It doesn't matter. It's the, it's the CIA. <laughs> Imagine I'm saying CIA when you I You wouldn't have things. more information if we told you what it stood for. No. <laughs> um, but this organization has grown like crazy under Putin because he obviously believes in the importance of intelligence. That was where how he gained his power. Like, that was his track. Which feels very kind of claustrophobic and um, paranoid. Yeah. And it also feels counter to when he was like, when the KGB rose against the government, I chose the government. Now yeah. he's building up what is basically the new incarnation of the KGB. An intelligence government. Yeah. So, um, as intelligence expert Mark Garricht said, quote, Vladimir Putin's Russia is a new phenomenon in Europe, a state defined and dominated by former and active duty security and intelligence officers. Not even fascist Italy, Nazi Germany, or the Soviet Union, all undoubtedly much worse creations than Russia, were as top-heavy with intelligence talent. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's like, why? Why? What yeah. is your goal? What's yeah, your goal it's just here? clear that, like, Putin is a person who always wants to be, like, in the know and only values other people who feel that way. Yeah, and feels a sense of insecurity about transparency yeah to his people yeah um here's another interesting quote um from a former security general ion mikai papasea um in the soviet union the kgb was a state within a state now former kgb officers are running the state they have the custody of the country's six thousand nuclear weapons entrusted to the KGB in the 1950s, and they now also manage the strategic oil industry renationalized by Putin. The KGB successor, rechristened the FSB, still has the right to electronically monitor the population, control political groups, search homes and businesses, infiltrate the federal government, create its own front enterprises, investigate cases, and run its own prison system. The Soviet Union had one KGB officer for every 428 of its citizens, Putin's Russia has one FSBist for every 297. <gasps> Oy. Isn't that crazy? So, like, the amount that this organization and this mentality of intelligence has grown under Putin is just fucking crazy. Um, and then one more fun quote is from former KGB officer Konstantin... Oh, God. Preobosnesky? I'm gonna try that one. Yeah. Um, and he was asked, how many people in Russia work for the FSB? And he replied, whole country. FSB owns everything, including Russian army and even in its own church, the Russian Orthodox Church. Putin managed to create a new social system in Russia. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, it's just fucking wild to me. Can you tell me why this is bad? Because I know it feels bad. Yeah. But I don't know how to express why it's bad yeah like am i just saying that because i come from a democratic democratic but a democratic yeah. country that's part of it part of it and like older russians here's something interesting that i learned on an npr podcast 
older Russians love Putin because, like, their economy has thrived under him in a lot of ways. So they're like, this is way more stable than the Soviet Union. You know what I mean? But, like, what isn't? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's younger Russians who are like, isn't it weird that I can't say anything or do anything? Against and, the government? And older Russians are like, this is actually fine. Yeah. You don't even know what how bad it was. Um, but I think the thing about this is that the government controls literally everything. And then the other interesting thing is that the government, the people who own the biggest businesses, and the criminal underground in Russia are all the same people. That's a big problem. Which is unique. <laughs> yep. Um, God, it's like Brooklyn in the 30s. <laughs> it literally kind of is. Um, there was a former CIA director, James Woolsey, and he had this really interesting, like, hypothetical um, that I'm going to read you now that kind of gets to that point. Um, James Woolsey says, quote, I have been particularly concerned for some years, beginning during my tenure, with, with the interpenetration of Russian organized crime, Russian intelligence and law enforcement, and Russian business. I've often illustrated this point with the following hypothetical. So let's follow James on his hypothetical. If you should chance to strike up a conversation with an articulate English-speaking Russian in, say, a restaurant in a luxury hotel along Lake Geneva and he is wearing a $3,000 suit and a pair of Gucci loafers, and he tells you that he is an executive of a Russian trading company, and he wants to talk to you about a joint venture, then there are four possibilities. One, he may be who he says he is. Two, he may be a Russian intelligence officer working under commercial cover. Three, he may be part of a Russian organized crime group. Or four, the really interesting possibility is that he may be all three and none of those three institutions have any problem with the arrangement. That's unusual. That's unusual. That's not the way it is in America. America has a lot of fucked up things about it right now. Yeah. That's not chill. Yeah. Yeah. But in theory. Putin is a person who encourages that kind of atmosphere of all the power belongs at the tippity top. With guys who are all kind of the same and yeah. if they want to control everything. And power means both government and business, business and, crime. and crime. Yeah. And it's all controlled by the same exact people. Way at the tippity top. Yep. So even if for like the average Russian grandma, they're like, actually, the economy has been better lately. Like long term, that is a model that can only cause like greater totalitarianism, greater corruption. Right. As time goes on. Um, Putin is 100% in control of government, business, and crime. That is pretty scary. Yeah. I don't like that. Um, do you want to hear my top three Putin stories real quick? Yes, please. Let's end this on a lighter note. Uh, number three, the horseback riding photos. Yeah, there's, so, there's so a, many. There's a bunch of photos of Putin and he's shirtless and he's riding a horse, <laughs> um, which are just great ones. It's not... I thought maybe they were like deep fakes. Uh, no, they're real. <laughs> So, uh, why do these photos exist, you might be wondering. Well, there's a reason, according to Jan Kubik, who is uh, of University College London, there's three messages Putin is expressing through these photos of him shirtless riding on horseback. First, he is trying to distinguish Russia from the rest of Europe by depicting himself as a rational man and as a powerful animal. Love that. <laughs> like a centaur. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's how I'd, I'd like to change my Twitter bio, I think, to a rational man and a powerful animal. <laughs> you should. I think, I think that maybe he was with his graphic designer looking at the photos like, could you maybe just, no, never mind, never mind. No, no. And they were like, were you about to ask me to change you into a centaur and then publish those photos in like a Russian newspaper? And he's like, no, I would no, never do that. No, I wouldn't want that. Um, any listener good at Photoshop, could you do that for me? Could anyone do that for us? That's all I ask. We don't ask you guys for shit. Yeah. Just do this for us. Um, in addition to that, he's trying to say that Russian males are masculine in comparison to like effeminate European males. He's like, I can be shirtless riding a powerful horse yeah because that's pretty what are you doing with your day that's pretty masculine president of france um second uh putin is trying to show that he is not a heartless dictator he loves animals um and he is demonstrating he can be benevolent but tough and can tame wild animals if need be that's what putin's trying to say but mostly we just were like why are you shirtless on a horse yeah i don't yeah um, here's story number two. Putin once drank a Ukrainian national treasure. <laughs> I'm sorry. If that ain't a metaphor for the whole Russia-Ukraine uh, thing. When Putin invaded the Ukrainian region of Crimea, there was international outrage, as there should have been. Um, however, he was allowed to annex the territory and soon had complete control. And the people of Ukraine were like, fuck. But what Putin did next infuriated them even more. He drank a 240-year-old bottle of wine, a national treasure in Ukraine, with disgraced former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi. Of course <laughs> Berlusconi was there. Um, so he goes to this winery, and the bottle is a 1775 Gers de la Fontera, which I don't know what that means, but it was brought to the region by Count Mikhail Vrontoskov when Catherine the Great controlled the Russian Empire. So it was like a national treasure that they had this old-ass bottle of wine from and Catherine the Great. he drank it with Italy's biggest car accident, <laughs> Sylvia yeah. Berlusconi. Just two cucks enjoying a glass oh, of wine. Oh, God. Um, in fact, I love this. The prosecutor general of Crimea filed a lawsuit against Putin, and he estimated the da- damages were 60,000 pounds for the bottle. Um, but it will probably never really go to court. <laughs> But you don't say. Uh, I just, I just love it. And then number one, close to you and my heart, Allie. Um, Putin is currently in possession of a Patriot Super Bowl ring from Robert Kraft that he stole. Thank God. <laughs> There's just so much to that sentence. I know, I know. Let me tell you the story. Uh, in 2005, Patriots owner Robert Kraft, uh, con- national conf- nightmare, confirmed piece of shit. Uh, he was in Russia. With uh, his friend Sandy Wheel, who was the president of Citigroup at the time. And Kraft had just received the ring for the Pats win in Super Bowl 39. I just had to read the Roman numerals. 39. So he decided to show the ring to his friend Sandy. And after seeing it, Sandy said, show the ring to Putin. (laughs) Won't Putin enjoy it? Go show him. So as Kraft puts it, quote, I took out the ring and showed it to Putin. And he put it on, and he goes, I can kill someone with this ring. (laughs) I put my hand out, and he put it in his pocket. And then three KGB guys got around him, and they walked out. (laughs) That? Oh, God. (laughs) Um, So Putin walks off with the ring. Kraft wants it back. He's like, hey, that's mine. And he gets a call from the White House saying, like, 
let's just say it was a gift to the Russian people from America. Please don't start an international incident. Over a Super Bowl ring. Over a Super Bowl ring. And apparently it's still in like a Russian museum of gifts, gifts from other nations to this day. Oh my god. That's amazing. So that's just like uh, two pieces of shit interacting with each other. But him taking the ring also feels weirdly like a metaphor for his rise to power. Um, like he just kind of like took something and walked away and everyone took something, was like, put it in his pocket and everyone was like, I guess we have to be fine with this. What? But so you guys, I, I'm sorry I didn't get more into Putin's exact policies, but I just kind of wanted to talk about like the, the like being that is Putin and like the reputation that is Putin. And it is scary. I think it is. I think it's a story of someone who talked and connectioned his way into power in a way that, like, feels very relevant in our day and age that he is able to do that. Yeah. I think I think that it, it's another really good example of how nobody really understands why people are able to rise to power and be in charge of decision-making. And because it's so confusing, nobody tries to unpack that or change it. Yeah. And that is very dangerous collectively yeah. as a nation. But yeah, he's been president for like 15 years and no sign of stopping him. Yeah, because it's like with the Super Bowl ring, it's like, I'm going to still keep being president. And then you three KGB guys come by you and you walk away. And it's yeah. like, all right, well, what are we supposed to say to that? No. Yeah. That feels like the wrong answer. All right. I have a much better understanding of what we're working with with him at this point. <laughs> so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, well done. But now I need a better understanding of a little something called Action Park. We need a palate cleanser where um, people die, so. Oh, good. Yeah. No, it's not that light. Well, a lot of it's so light. Like, it's so <laughs> ridiculous. And then some of it's like, this is terrifying. When you that's, were, that's what Action Park is all about. When you were researching earlier, you did all of a sudden out loud go, oh, Oh my god. Oh, I'll tell you when we get to that part. <laughs> and I said what? And you were like, I can't tell you. I'll, I'll tell you. Oh gosh. Um, it's something called the Cannonball Loop. Oh gosh. We'll talk about it in a minute. So, Action Park. I thought I'd give you, first off, a little update on my Disney thing <laughs> that's happening with my brain. And uh, the, the update is, I'm still in a full meltdown and I'm not sure if I'll ever be back the way that I was. I feel like you're watching less Disney movies. No, I'm not. Oh. You just, just, you just haven't seen me in a while. You're, you just, you're just not buying them on my Amazon account. Yeah, I was... <laughs> did we say this before? That I, I would... I We have on our TV Sam's Amazon account. Yeah. So when I couldn't find, like, Toy Story 3 on Netflix, I would just buy it on Sam's Amazon account. Which is account. fine. That's why my Amazon account is there. But I would just... I would get the receipts the next day. And it would be like, hope you enjoyed your purpose purchase of Toy Story 3. And two hours later, hope you enjoyed your purchase of Brave. And I was like, oh. And then you get like two successive like $4 Venmos <laughs> from me that just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, that's that and that influenced this a little. But along the many rewatches I've done of Brave after I bought it from you um, and all the Disney food vlog videos that I watch, I also started watching a fantastic YouTube series it's called really good. Defunct Land. We watch some of them together. If you're interested in theme parks, abandoned stuff, 
just decay of things that were once grand. You will love this channel. A lot of their stuff is about Disney, but I'd say just as many of his videos are just theme park related in yeah. general. And, the, and he also has a podcast. His name is Kevin Perjurer, the producer of these. Oh. And he has a podcast called Defunct, the Defunct Land Podcast, and Defunct Land is on YouTube. Um, and these, like, episodes, they're like mini-movies. They're so excruciatingly detailed that it's like watching a feature-length documentary on, like, Astro World. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's wild. It's really great. And I, I, recent wa- I recently watched the Action Park episode. And that brings us all here today. So, um, that's a plug. Kevin Perger, Defunct Land. I'm such a huge fan. So yeah. this is for you. So, Action Park. It doesn't even sound real. No, it sounds kind of <laughs> lame. Um, it was an amusement and water park in Vernon, New Jersey that opened in 1978. Um, the origins of this park is that originally it was a ski resort. And obviously there was decline in guests over the summer. So in 1976, the company Great American Recreation, um, which was owned by, what's his, Mulv, what is his name? It's a weird name. Eugene Mulvihill. Mulvihill? Maybe it's Mulville, but it's spelled like Mulvihill. Let me look. Um, Mulvihill. Yeah, that's how it's spelled. So he, this guy, owns the Great American Recreation Company, and he comes into the ski resort and he says... Where are all the people? It's summertime. It's a big plot of land. We could do something with this. So he installed alpine slides into the side of the mountains so there would be a tourist draw outside of the skiing season. That's smart. So for those of you who don't know, I don't know how national these are. <laughs> alpine slides. Have you ever been on them? No, I've never heard of them oh before Oh my right god. <laughs> You're welcome in advance. Uh, they're basically sleds that run down segments of tubing. Ooh. That go down a mountain. So gravity brings you down these tubes in your sled, and you have one simple brake mechanism on a lever in the middle of your legs. Mm-hmm. So you can stop, and you can slow yourself, but if you don't control the brake, you're just free-falling down the tube, down nice. the mountain. Oh, yeah. It's great. Um, and I used to go alpine sliding with my family at the Atatash Mountain Resort, Hala, New Hampshire. And as someone who hated skiing and wintered sports, I found alpine sliding lit as fuck. All you have to do is sit down, and you get to fly down a mountain with little to zero skill. I love that. Very easy. However, it is insanely dangerous. You don't wear a helmet. There's no <laughs> mats. Like, there, there's, you're flying down a tube, and then you get to, like, a turn, and you go, like, whoosh, like, up the side of it. Yeah, so yeah. there would be, like, some piping up the side, but always when we would go you'd see somebody blow out on a turn oh jesus absolutely every time and you couldn't regulate how fast the people would go so they would say like well break when you're coming to a turn but no one would do that um and it's like you could crash into like if somebody was going slow and the other person was going fast you could crash into each other there's nothing stopping that and like a big teenager could crash into a little toddler yeah this is, it's fucking wild west alpine planning <laughs> anything goes but we're not here to talk about my traumatic past. We're here to talk about the traumatic past of northern New Jersey. So the <laughs> Vernon Valley Ski Resort gets alpine slides. And then not long after that, they get some water slides and a go-kart tra- track. And before you know it, they're calling themselves the Vernon Valley Summer Park. And their summer attendance has never been better. And in 1978, along with a new collection of attractions, they christen themselves Action Park. Whoa. Action Park. Action Park. Action. That's Lights, not their, camera. That's not their slogan. <laughs> but, um, it should be. 
the park was split into three sections. Motor World, Water World, and Alpine Center. Couldn't give me Alpine World? No. <laughs> Whatever. Too, they were like, too many worlds. It's passe. That one is where the Alpine slides were. That would make sense. Motor World had go-karts and speedboat rides. Um, why is that not in Water World? And something called the Slingshot, where they shoot you up in a bungee cord. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. Water World had a tidal wave pool, water slides, and like a, a lazy river. Nice. So what's the problem? Yeah, that all sounds great. These sounds... Like things you find at your local Six Flags. Yeah. Well, there are a few things that are the problem. Oh, no. This park wanted to be different from all of the other amusement parks in the area and the world, if they could manage it. Their slogan was, where you're the center of the action. Uh, Eugene Mulvihill's son, Andy, said, quote, My dad's whole idea was to do an amusement park differently. Not where you just got strapped in and twisted around, but one where you controlled what was going on. You can have an awesome time, but you can also hurt yourself if you don't use good judgment. <laughs> so it sounds like a libertarian. Like, it was an dream extremely of a... libertarian theme park. Now yeah. that you say that, it it was very much like we don't really have rules. You can do whatever you want. That's our thing. But then it's your bad if you get yeah fucked up. And this is the thing. It's like. When I'm being launched into the air on a bungee cord, I don't want to be in control of that. <laughs> like, I don't want anything to be, like, up to me. <laughs> I want everything to be, like, I want to be able to, like, flail around and have a full panic attack, like, in motion. And still, like, there's no way that I could harm myself. Like, yes. I want to be fully bubble wrapped in that kind of situation. Absolutely. But the youth of New Jersey said no, no. This the, is perfect for us. The youth of the Jersey, <laughs> Jersey were like, finally. Yeah. I mean, they're just blasting Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> born to run. They were born to run to I the action park. I want to drive a speedboat into a tree, <laughs> and I don't want anyone <laughs> to tell me otherwise. So, bearing that in mind, here are some of the things you could be in control of. <laughs> Your own destiny at Action Park. Okay. I just mentioned speedboats. So they had mini speedboats. No track. It wasn't a ride. It was just they had speedboats. <laughs> and you could you could drive them around in a pond that was known to be infested with snakes. Okay. <laughs> you, I don't think that was part of it. That's just a fun it's Too many motherfucking snakes <laughs> on I know. this motherfucking, this motherfucking pond. <laughs> um, you could go on a whitewater rafting experience known as Roaring Rapids, that fractured many femurs, collarbones, and noses. Great. You could jump off a cliff. <laughs> they had a cliff. The parents of New Jersey were like, if Martha jumped off a cliff, would you? And the kids were like... I did that. I, Martha and I did that At yesterday. Action Park. No, they just... It was called, I think, like, the diving cliffs. <laughs> And you could jump off a fucking cliff. That's the whole ride. <laughs> was there an, uh, water at the bottom? I don't have any other information for you. Um, you could go on the bumper boats that regularly leaked gasoline. So much so that one time a guy had to go to the hospital because he was covered in gasoline. <laughs> you could drive a miniature tank. And it would shoot tennis balls at the other tanks. But then also... People on the sidelines could shoot tennis balls at the tanks, but they wouldn't do that. They would wait until 
the ride broke down and an employee had to go fix something. No. And then shoot tennis balls at that person. <laughs> no. Um, you could ride a Tarzan swing into a pond, different pond, I assume. Um, but I, maybe not. No, it was probably the gasoline pond. <laughs> so a Tarzan swing, this is what you picture. It's yeah, a swing, it's, a, it's, it's a one rope. rope. Yeah. With like a knot at the bottom and you could swing yourself uh, over a, a pond and, and do that. Um, and it was a very popular place for people to like rip their top off mm-hmm. or pull down their pants and expose themselves. Great. That's fun, right? That's family fun right That's there. That's family fun for the, for the entire family. Yep. And the last and most upsetting one to me, I can't talk about this one. It's so, it ups- this is the one where I was oh, reading no. about it and I was like, I can't believe they did this. Um, it was called the Cannonball Loop. Now, I'm worried that I'm not going to explain it right and you won't picture exactly what it is. It was a water slide with a complete vertical loop. Let me explain. You look confused. Let that, me explain. You can't have that. That's what God would say. <laughs> <laughs> but Action Park said. But, but Action Park is owned by the devil. No, no. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> let me show you a picture of it first. It's like, I don't want to be a narc, but you can't. No, that's what it looked like right there. Well, it's all no. Still, you're hurt. All right, no. Let me let me explain. Still let me explain. Let me explain to that. everyone else. So, a roller coaster. If you have a roller coaster with a loop, it's you know, it looks like an O, mm-hmm. and you go up and down, and you fully. It's a full inversion. Yeah, you're up and you down. go around a circle and out the same way. That is what this slide was. So it was an enclosed water slide. So it was basically a tube. One tube. Like a, it shot you through a bendy straw. A tube. A tube. But on a roller coaster, there's like a motor pushing. I don't know how roller coasters work. Yeah. But I mean, even if it's not pushing you, it's like a track that it's going around. This is just your body on a slide. And and you need enough motion to propel you up and over a loop and out the other side. Yeah. So. And you won't. You you can't have that. But. (laughs) But. Eugene says you can. So they (laughs) built it. And when they were testing it, they started with crash dummies. And the dummies would come out like in pieces. Like the limbs would come out separate. Okay. And so then, eventually, he said, forget that. And he started paying employees $100 to test it. it. And one employee said, uh, quote, $100 did not buy enough booze to drown out that memory. (laughs) So what would happen was, sometimes people would get all the way around, but more often than not, they would slow down in the middle and come crashing down really hard and, like, break their nose or, like you know, get a, something would happen. And sometimes this makes me want to vomit. I'm so scared of it. They would get stuck in the loop. (laughs) As a claustrophobic person, that is my, think about, think about that. Think about, I mean, fast forward this if you can't deal with it, but like, think about you're in a dark enclosed tube (laughs) and you're being shot around a loop with running water and you're stuck in it being drowned like what's happening in there i would rather i would and there's nothing even in there to like hit yourself over the head with to knock yourself out <laughs> like i which would i know just, would be your first would move. be my goddamn my first move but oh god so they had to install a hatch on the bottom to fetch people who would stick 
catch the people who would stick. So. I'm just imagining, like, you go up the loopy loop, you don't make it, so you fall straight down, you yeah. break your nose. You have to go through the rest of the slide. Like, you you have, have to keep going. Pick yourself up and be like. And crawl your broken body out of the slide. <laughs> All right, we got to move on because we don't oh, have time. Oh, God. So, this is a recipe for disaster on its own. But there were even more factors at play to this death trap. Namely, most of the employees were the drunk children. Yeah, of course. It's they were mark. teenagers. They were not well-trained. And they drank beer from the food stands that were being operated by other teenagers. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. Um, and they rarely enforced any safety regulations if there were any. Also, most of them ended up riding the rides after closing. And they were known to tamper with the speed gauges on the go-karts and race them on the highway. (laughs) They almost never enforced rules because the point of the park was that the guest was in control and they set their own boundaries. And the general consensus was that if someone got hurt, it was their fault. Which, um... Yes and no. I mean, to a point. If there's, like, a a 25-year-old bro who's, like, tossing himself off of a cliff, that's one thing. But, um... If there's, like, a child there who's just, like, trying to enjoy a water park, that's different. Yeah. So, another problem that contributed to the myriad of injuries at Action Park was their disregard for their visitor populations. And this is something that I didn't really think of, um, but Defunct Clan talks about it a little bit, and they talk about it in some articles that I read. They were close to New York City, closer than Six Flags, actually, oh. and they were cheaper than Six Flags. Mm. So, many of the kids and families who lived in the city and in the inner city would go to this park as opposed to Six Flags, and they didn't have... They had little to no experience swimming. And that, coupled with the fact that the security guards and lifeguards were not paying attention, was an extremely dangerous situation. Yeah. And the other thing is that they marketed heavily to Spanish-speaking populations in the area, but made no effort to have any signage or safety information in Spanish in their park. Yeah, why would you? Yeah, because it's why just would so you fucking ca- irresponsible. Why would you cater to people that you were inviting to your park? Yeah, and it's like clearly they thought that people in those populations would come to the park, and, and they did. Yeah. But they had absolutely no regard for their safety, Ugh. which is such bullshit. So now let's talk about the not funny stuff. Uh, countless people were injured. And literally hundreds hospitalized, several in a day were hospitalized. Wow. And six people, tragically, died at Action Park during its years of operation. Six people. That feels like so many. Three of those deaths occurred in the tidal wave pool. So the tidal wave pool reached waves of up to 40 inches and was so crowded and unregulated that, like, if someone was drowning, you wouldn't be able to tell. Wow. That, so that would happen if somebody would pass away and you wouldn't know for oh a while, God. which is absolutely terrifying. And the other thing that I read was, which was interesting and also so ignorant and reckless, is that it was fresh water. So people didn't think about, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be salt water, but people didn't think about the fact that usually when you're in waves, it's salt water mm-hmm. and that makes you more buoyant. So not only was it difficult to swim in and to fight against the current, but you sink faster in freshwater. Interesting. So it's like double dangerous. 
Um, one person flew off the alpine slide and hit his head on a rock. <gasps> one person had a heart attack from touching an electrical wire underneath the kayak attraction. Oh, no! And one person had a heart attack from the freezing water he dove into off of the Tarzan swing. Jesus. All of these fatalities occurred in the 1980s, spanning the decade, and that was the most popular time for Action Park. So the most disturbing thing about these fatalities to me, obviously they're absolute tragedy. Yeah. But the thing that really gets me about this is that it didn't really affect the park in a negative way. That's crazy. It absolutely got a reputation for being incredibly dangerous, but it was almost as if the teenagers of New York and New Jersey reveled in the fact that you could actually die at this theme park. Damn. So it, it got a bunch of, like, sassy nicknames, like, Traction Park and Accident Park and Class Action Park, which is my favorite, <laughs> and the Tidal Wave Pool, where three people died, was nicknamed the Grave Pool, uh. which is, like, so cavalier for a place where three people died. I believe two of them were technically children. Oh my god. Um, not small children, but still. Yeah, Jesus. Um, it's like, I get the teenagers are monsters, but that just feels so fucked up. Yeah. And the administration really didn't care, and they failed to report serious injuries, and when the local EMTs complained that they had to go there so many times during the day, they bought them a new fleet of ambulances as a bribe. Jesus. Because it was a small town, so (laughs) it was like, they can kind of do whatever they want. Here's the tie-in to Putin. There you go. There you go. So, what is the legacy of this place? I hope it's gone now. It is gone. It Good. closed. Oh my god, I didn't research when it closed. It's closed. It's closed now, thank god. It's closed now. It's called Mountain Creek. And um, my sweet journalist boyfriend, Chris, who I mention on here a lot, it was his childhood water park. <gasps> wow! His parents, like, have a condo there, and, like, oh they have they, their place. Did he know? I think he kind of knew. Okay, there's, like, um, rumors. There's rumors. But, I mean, this is the thing, is that it has this almost, like, lovable place in people's hearts. Yeah. And the worst thing about all this to me is that people who write about it in the past tense look back with fondness on a theme park that was a rite of patch that should prove you grit in front of your friends, but moreover, like, that... It was, there were no rules and no one was telling you what to do. And I can't help but think that that attitude is like adjacent to, you know, everything is so PC and safe and coddled. Back in my day, you could die at your theme park. Yeah, like when did the liberal cucks have to pussify our 360 degree water slides, for God's (sighs) sake? Like, I just feel. I'm not saying that everyone who has, like, some silly fondness for it in their hearts feels that way, but it fe- that energy yeah. feels, like, part of it. Like, oh, like, I'm not gonna be a pussy about it. Like, yeah, you could die at Action Park. But it's like, people did. Like, yeah. people really were died because of negligence. And some because of stupidity. It has to be said. Like, some were, some of the people who died were doing very stupid, irrational things. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean they deserve to But when you die. own an establishment, it's your job to try to prevent yeah, exactly. people from doing stupid um, things. And, I don't know, like, it's like theme parks are for families, and kids deserve to have fun and be safe. And it just feels like a bunch of the most annoying jocks at school made a theme, mar- theme park to torture each other in and prove how rad and cool they were. And, you know what I think is rad and cool? Safety. Yeah. And uh, comfort amongst one's friends. Amen. The absence of peer pressure. Maybe a dip in dots. Ooh. Yeah. I love that. That's why I love um, 
Salem, New Hampshire's crown jewel, Canopy Lake Park. We all love Canopy Lake. I would love if any New Englanders out there tweet would tweet at us if you've been to Canopy Lake Park. Canopy Lake memories. It's my favorite park in the whole world. Uh, it's um. I want you guys to go again this summer so I can come. I couldn't. I go know we already we already went this year. season and, and Sam was busy. You can go on the giant sky wheel. You can take just a nice docile boat ride. Mm. You can um you can go on a rickety wooden roller coaster. No loops. Not that one. Just a cart on a track. Not a one. Way God intended. Uh, the last great. time we were there, though, it was too close to Halloween, and there were a bunch of people dressed up as monsters who would jump out and scare you, and I no. did not like that. Wrong. That was Six Flags. Was that Six Flags? That was Six Flags. Thank God. How dare you? I'm sorry that I slandered Canopy Six Lake Flags like is like a it's like a cement wasteland compared <laughs> to the scenic, idyllic beauty of Canopy Lake Park, um, and it's cheaper. And it's cheaper. So I'm. We're getting off topic. That's the end. Theme park responsibly. Please. And just to play it safe, don't ever visit New Jersey. Yeah. That's a good rule for all of us. And harming each other or yourself isn't cool. And I hope that, like, I hope that gets beaten out of this, like, generation. <laughs> it's ironic. You, know you I mean? hope it gets beaten out of them. I don't. I hope it gets <laughs> kind of metaphorically tossed out yeah. of the zeitgeist. I hope they learn. And I, I don't think it's going to because, like, we had jackass, right? Yeah. Stupid nonsense oh johnny knoxville made a movie about action park it was oh. called it was like supposed to supposedly action park um but like we had jackass but they have fucking youtube you what's his name oh um the guy you covered logan paul logan paul logan and jake paul yeah the pauls throwback to what is that like our third our, it was like episode? our second episode yeah Ah, oh, we were such children little babies such babies but yeah that's that wow action park Action Park. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that either. We do not have time to do a listener story. I think we should. I mean, who makes the rules? We want to do a listener story. We do want to do a listener story. We do want to do a listener story. It's a really good listener story. I think it's a really good listener story. This is going to be a long episode, but we really want to do one. Um, Just cut me talking about Putin. Let's only talk about Action Park and this listener story. This is a great one. Sam, it really is. I, I, let's, let's get through it, so take it away. No, I don't want to get through it. Let's do it. Let's do this. Let's, let's lather in it. Let's just do it, you guys. <laughs> Maybe your commute's slow today and you need a little bit more content. Yeah. So, this one comes to us um, actually from a friend of the show. So, you guys might remember um, our wonderful guest, Walt McGuff, from our Gamergate episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he hosts a podcast called Crossover Appear, Appear? Crossover Appeal with his wife, Annie McGuff, Annie Cardi McGuff, and she sent us this listener mail. So, and thank you, Annie. Thank you, Annie, so much. And it's awful. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucked up, so, and how dare you? So, Jesus, Annie, Christ. Um, but today I'm going to read you um, Annie's Her tale. letter to us. And she's an uh, she's an author. Yeah. So, it's beautifully written. Follow her on Twitter it's to get upsetting. pictures of her dog and her baby. Oh, both are cute. Yeah. Both are just A+. Um, so, here's Annie writes to us. Hey there, Team Horrified. Hi, Annie. I love that name for us. <laughs> the most horrifying thing from my life is that time a moth flew into my ear oh. and slowly died inside my ear canal. <laughs> I'm going to throw up. A nightmare. It's so bad. I would rather close my computer than keep reading it. <laughs> so gross. I was getting ready for bed one night a few years ago and saw a tiny brown moth on the ceiling. It was too high for me to swat, and I figured, oh, whatever, it's a moth. It's not a wasp or something. So Walt and I, Walt McGuff, who was on our podcast, turned off the light and went to bed. After a few minutes, I turned on my side and was just dozing off when I felt something fly into my ear. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh no, I thought. Oh no. (laughs) The fucking moth 
flew into my fucking ear. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Annie. Uh, I jumped out of bed and started panicking. I could feel it trying to flap around in there. <laughs> I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> there was no way I could even see it, much less get it out. Walt looked up. I would just chop my ear off with a knife. <laughs> Walt looked up, looked up what to do when this happens, and suggested trying to get it out with olive oil or something. And then she puts five question marks. Um, but that's when you contemplate divorce in a marriage. Yeah. It's like if you can't take control of a situation. <laughs> In, with more gusto than that. It's done. But I said he had to drive me to the emergency room. Yeah, good call, yes, Annie. Yes, Annie, we agree. I kept feeling the moth trying to flap inside my ear, and oh it was so awful. That is so violating. At the emergency room, they flushed my ear with stuff to kill the moth and sanitize things. Eventually, the moth did die, and I didn't feel it moving around anymore, but it was still in there. They then tried to suck it out, but because the ear canal is narrow... They ended up getting the vacuum thing caught on my ear canal, and it caused a hematoma, so they couldn't see if any part of the moth was left. I was sent home with instructions to see an ENT doctor that week. Because we live in the Boston area, I found that Mass Ear, Eye, and Ear has an ER, so I went there first thing next morning. They had better technology, so they were able to suction out the rest of the moth and get things cleaned. Wow, this might be, must be a totally random thing, you may be thinking. What psychomoth would do this? That is something I was thinking. But Annie says, Turns out this happens all the time. The nurse at Mass Ear, Eye and Ears ER, that's a lot of E's, said they get a lot of people in for bugs that fly into people's ears. Why uh. would bugs do that? Who knows? <laughs> Moral of the story, always kill the bugs. Always no mercy. Because otherwise they will try to die inside you. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had, I don't think we've had anything as cringe on this Ugh. podcast. Like, my whole body I is, know. Like, tense right now. And then she says, also, your podcast is fantastic and truly brightens my week. That's what she said. I'm not saying that about this podcast. Thank you, Annie. That's very sweet of you. Annie, this did the opposite for my week. <laughs> I am uh, not going to sleep, and no. you have taken a good month off my life i feel like so. there's a moth in my ear right now i know there's not no i feel it logically i know there's not a moth inside me annie this is really a testament to your craft yeah you're a wonderful storyteller as a writer uh, um because i'm there and i feel it and i hate it and uh, um and you've hurt me on this day but thank god thank you so much for sharing that um i think that it's really living up to our mission on this podcast my to god. upset and disturb everyone who comes across our path so, I don't think you'll have any trouble with this, uh, but we hope this week you'll stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.